Amen. Hey, as you turn to Philippians chapter 3 and 4, let's give them a round of applause one more time, huh? Multiple generations worshiping the Lord. So cool to see. So cool to be a part of. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We just have a couple weeks left in this book as we wrap up the year, as we celebrate the advent of Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 10. A few years ago, Stephanie, myself, and Noah were in Bath and Body Works at the Woodland Hills Mall in Tulsa. Noah was about two and a half years old. It was Christmas time, about this time of year. So just imagine the sights, the sounds, the smells, a joyous occasion, people everywhere, people laughing, smiling, full of joy. And every worker in Bath and Body Works excited to tell you about all their deals, right? And so this is kind of where we were. And we had this double seat stroller getting ready for Caroline, who's about to come into the world and so on. And so we had this double seat stroller. And one of the seats was a bench seat. And you could lift that bench seat to put things in the bottom basket. So at one point in that Bath and Body Works, we told Noah to stand up because he was sitting on the bench seat. We told him to stand up so we could put bags into the bottom of the stroller. And afterward, we then closed the seat so Noah could sit back down. But the seat wasn't quite closed all the way. Still, Noah sat down, and as he did, he put his hands kind of to his sides, And one of his little two-and-a-half-year-old fingers got caught in the plastic latch that snaps the seat into place. Uh, Picture a finger getting stuck in the door. Uh, Just imagine ten times worse than that. Immediate screams filled Bath and Body Works and the mall In Tulsa and Oklahoma, you get the idea. It just like filled the entire room. And I mean immediate sorrow on Noah's face. Sadness, tears running down his face as he is screaming. And people are looking at us. Workers at Bath and Body Works are dropping what they're doing. They're coming to our side and almost questioning us. Who, what kind of parents are we, right? This is that kind of moment. And we had no idea initially what was wrong and for what was probably seconds felt like long hours at least for us and no doubt Noah so there we were stumbling about and we finally discovered what was wrong he couldn't move his hand and so we noticed that his finger was caught so we unsnapped the seat and the indent on his finger it's amazing he doesn't have a scar and thankfully not a memory of it (laughs) right It was terrible. It was traumatic. If you're a parent, you've probably been there with a door, a car door, a a door at the house. You've been there, and probably you yourself have maybe had your finger caught like that. Well, I was in Bath and Body Works this week, which, by the way, I don't go to Bath and Body Works very often. It just so happened that I was there this week. But I thought about that incident. And here we are again. It's Christmas time, the sights, the sounds, the smells, it's a joyous occasion. People were everywhere, laughing, smiling, full of joy. Bath and Body Works workers trying to sell you on every deal. 
But I got to thinking about that incident, and I thought, you know, it's really, really hard, difficult, maybe even downright impossible to choose joy, to be full of joy, to stand in joy. When your body and mind and soul feels only like screaming, succumbing to sorrow and sadness at something terrible, at something traumatic that has happened in your life, maybe even especially around the Christmas season, or something that is happening in your life right now. In the same way, had I told Noah in the midst of his terrible, traumatic condition and circumstance, hey, Noah, don't worry, just look around, it's Christmas time, choose joy. That would have been hard for him, difficult, nearly impossible. And that might be where some of you are today. You look around, it's Christmas time, you see the lights, the decorations, the sights, the sounds, the smells, it's a joyous occasion, people are laughing, people are everywhere, smiling, full of joy, but all you're experiencing and facing is distress, darkness, and maybe even death. But what Paul is doing here in this passage is urging us, No matter our past or current experiences, circumstances, and conditions, despite the distress, despite the darkness, despite even the death, still choose joy. Still be filled with joy. Still stand in joy. Because for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, it's not just about what you have experienced or what you are experiencing, and those things are very important. They impact us, they change us, we get it. But for the Christian, it's more about what we will experience. That changes everything about the past, present, and especially the future. So therefore, because of what we will experience, choose joy, be filled with joy, stand in joy no matter what. Because there's something brilliant and bright on the horizon. An event that you and I, the church, will experience. An event that will flood away your distress, your darkness, and your death as though they never were. Just like in the days of Noah, when he and his family watched all that distress, darkness, and death flood away as though they never were. Just like in the days of the Israelites leaving Egypt after 400 years of captivity, when they watched all those that inflicted all their distress, darkness, and death upon them flood away as though they never were. So too, it will be in the days of Jesus' appearing and his return. You will watch distress, darkness, and death flood away as though they never were. So choose joy, be filled with joy, stand in joy no matter what. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Paul writes, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from 
the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. As he said elsewhere, let us have the mind of Christ. And if if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true or cling to what we have attained. Verse 17, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and I now tell you even with tears, so many, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Going to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and whom I long for, you who are my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So around this time of year, we rest and we reflect on the birth of Jesus. Right? We sing about it. We sing about it moments ago. Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Word who was with God in the beginning, who was God in the beginning. The Word become flesh. In this human being, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus, who is the exact imprint of God's very nature. We rest on this. We reflect on the birth of Jesus as the shepherd said, as we heard, read earlier, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. This is what we ref- rest and reflect on during this time of year. But for a moment, just consider not just his birth, but his life. Consider Jesus' ministry to those he ministered to. Consider his miracles. Consider his teaching. Then, if not now, at some point during the season, in every day, consider his death. What Jesus experientially went through, what he experienced, the isolation, the unbearable isolation, abandoned, left alone, the humiliation that he went through, public but also private. The devastation of just crucifixion, the shame, the sorrow, the distress, the darkness, the death that he experienced. Then ask yourself this question, how? 
See, we know the why, for he so loved us. This is how we know what love is. God proved his love in this. Or we could look at his obedience. He was obedient unto the Father, unto death. We could look at that. We know the why, but how? How could Jesus do it? How could he, God himself in human form, face the trauma, the terrible traumatic circumstances and conditions of his death and endure it? How? Then after asking yourself that question, then tell yourself that the answer is in Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer writes, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross. The how is Jesus knew something and believed something that we as his followers must also know and believe. That for those belonging to the Father, that those in Jesus... Those who have received Jesus as their Lord and King, those who have placed faith in Jesus, his followers, his church, those who, as we saw last week, who have been made right before God, but also with God. For us, it's not just about what we have experienced or what we are experiencing. Those things are important. They may very well be terrible and traumatic. But for the Christian, it's more about what we will experience experience that moves us, that compels us to endure whatever it is we're going through. See, Jesus knew the joy set before him, that distress, darkness, and death was not the end of the story. Jesus knew that he would bodily, physically be raised imperishable. His body raised, no longer susceptible to sickness and to things like cancer. Raised with immortality, his body no longer susceptible to death. Raised imperishable, raised with immortality, raised in honor and glory. Jesus anticipated and expected bodily glorification and perfection of his body. Jesus knew what was to come. He believed what was to come after his distress, his darkness, his death. He knew the ascension that awaited him. The ascension to the highest position of honor and glory and authority in both the physical and spiritual worlds. He knew the supremacy over everything and everyone, seen or unseen, that awaited him in glorification and in perfection. He knew the victory. He knew the joy set before him. As many people have said, he knew the cradle, he knew the cross wasn't the end of the story. That the crown was the end of the story. Jesus knew it wasn't just about what he had experienced or what he was experiencing. And those things were greatly important, but it was more about what he would experience. Thus he chose joy. Thus he was filled with joy. Thus he stood in joy. Thus he endured the distress, the darkness, the death. Yes, even the death on a cross. And Paul is telling us, as he says in verse 15, to think this way, to join in imitating him, because all Paul is doing is imitating Jesus, having the mind of Jesus and living the way of Jesus under the lordship of Jesus with Jesus as his ultimate example. 
Because, as we've seen in this series, Paul himself, like his readers, is currently in distress. He's in darkness. He's nearly facing death himself. And Paul has experienced some things in the past, terrible, traumatic things. Things even done by his own hands. Yet, as he says, he's choosing to lay aside the past, to forget it, to lay aside the present and to pursue the future. He's choosing to rejoice. He's choosing hope and peace. He's choosing joy because Paul knows the joy set before him. He knows the perfection and glorification that is to come, that what happened with Jesus will also happen with him. As he put it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles are simply achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And at the heart of Paul's anticipation and expectation of the future, the grounds or the reasons for such anticipation and expectation is his knowledge of and belief in God's power. In other words, Paul knows that Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus is to come. And that changes everything about the past, present, and especially the future. Paul knows the power of what was. He talks kind of past tense here, but he knows what God has done in the past, specifically in raising Jesus from the dead in bodily resurrection. Raising Jesus' body in glorification and in perfection. Paul knows the power of what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead. That the cross is not the end of the story. As a result of that, Paul also knows the power of what is. He knows that all things right now have been given to Jesus. That because of his resurrection, his glorification and perfection and ascension, that right now Jesus has supremacy over everything and everyone. That he has subjected all things into himself, the language he uses. In other words, Paul knows and believes that what Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew 28, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him, is not hyperbole. It's true. He's over every power and authority. He thus says this, Paul does in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. All this for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul also says in Colossians that Jesus is the head over every power and authority. Paul knows the power of what is. Because of Jesus' bodily resurrection, his glorification, his perfection, his ascension. He is reigning right now. 
because of God's power, past and present, because Paul has been taken captive by Jesus, the one who is greater than he who is in the world, because Paul belongs to the kingdom of Jesus, which is more superior than any kingdom of this world, because of all this, Paul can hardly wait to experientially know the power of what will be. He can hardly wait to experientially know the power of what will be. He so wants to know experientially what God is going to do for him, for the church, and for God's creation. He knows it, he believes it, but not experientially yet, just like you and I. However, Although Paul doesn't experientially know what God will do, he does know two factual things about what God will do in the future at the appearing of Jesus. Number one, Paul knows that we will be like Jesus. At his appearing, we will be like Jesus. Paul knows this. And not... Paul's not the only one. Even John knew this. He says this in 1 John. Dear friends, we are already God's children. We're already claimed by him. We're already owned by him. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, meaning experientially. But we do know that we will be like him, meaning in his glorified, perfect state. We will be like him in that way. So Paul, like John and the other apostles, knows that we will be like Jesus in bodily glorification and perfection. So because of the power of what was and what is, Paul knows these two things about what God will do in the future, that we will be like him, but also, number two, that it will happen. We don't know when, but it will happen. It it will come like a thief of the night, Jesus would use that kind of language. It will happen happen. Because the same power that brought him back from the dead is the same power that's coming to raise you from the dead. It will happen. Book it. It's a guarantee. Therefore, because of the power that, of what will be, Paul is enduring his distress, enduring his darkness, and even enduring his eventual death. Therefore, he's laying aside the past and the present and pressing on to take hold of, to cling to that which is set before him. He's got his mind set on it. He's got his eyes set on the horizon, that joy, that prize set before him. Think of it like this. This is Lieutenant Brad Snyder in this picture holding up the the gold medal. Lieutenant Brad Snyder is of the United States Navy. He's a phenomenal swimmer, phenomenal swimmer. A captain once of the Naval Academy swim team. Years ago, he was preparing for the 20 or 2012 Olympics in London. Preparing and preparing, working hard. And then finally he raced. And when he raced, he literally set a world record and won the gold medal, as you can see in this picture. It's an incredible story. But it gets even more incredible when you hear about what happened about a year before this. In September 2011, about a year before he would take hold of that prize on that platform, Brad was in Afghanistan on duty. There was an explosion 
And Brad Snyder lost his eyesight in that explosion. If you're looking at this picture, he can't see. He's blind now. He would spend incredible amount of time recovering from that bomb blast that didn't just take his eyesight. It also required numerous reconstructive surgeries on his face, and you can see some of the scars there on his face. Lieutenant Brad Snyder, you could say, was in distress, darkness, nearly on the verge of death. But for the joy set before him, he endured, he pursued, he moved forward. And after he won the medal, this is what he said. He said, I've walked the path from being chained to the bed at exactly a year ago to now competing on an international level like the Paralympics. He says, it means I've won. Paul is saying, listen, I have been claimed by Jesus. I belong to the kingdom. Thus, I know what is to come for me, a Savior who is coming from there, who at his appearing, his second advent, will transform me from perishable to imperishable, mortal to immortality, dishonor to honor. He will give me glorification and perfection. And as we see at the end of Revelation, and we will reign with him in that new creation. So because of this joy set before me, this prize on the horizon, I will stand firm. I will push ahead. I may be chained to a bed right now, but eventually I will declare I have won. So I will stand in this joy, knowing my labor is not in vain. Uh, I'll finish with this. In Rome, they would have these chariot races in these brilliant arenas. As one person said, it was like NASCAR for the ancient Roman world. It's incredible. Well, some commentators believe that Paul might have been alluding to these races in this passage, because at the end of the race the winner would be summoned to approach the judge's elevated stand and receive his prize. May we know the fullness of what is to come for all those who believe. You will one day be summoned to receive your prize. Paul knew this, Jesus knew this, and Paul is calling us to imitate him and others like him because all they were doing is imitating Jesus. So set your mind on these things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Set your minds not on the seen but on the unseen. Set your minds on the horizon. Let us too run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Yes, despising the shame, but now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God's. Jesus was, he is, he is to come. And that changes everything about the past, the present, and especially the future. So therefore, Paul says, despite anything we might be going through, the distress, the darkness, the death, may we somehow, some way, choose joy. May we stand firm, immovable. 
fill with joy, stand in joy no matter what. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We're going to have a time of response. And as your hearts and minds are just drawing near to the Lord, you might be thinking, man, I, things are good. I've got joy in my life. I'm filled with joy. I'm excited about the future and the hope that we have in Christ. But for a moment, I also want you to consider those around you, what they might have gone through or maybe what they are going through. And maybe during this time, it's just considering how can I relate the joy of Christ into their situation? That they too would know this hope, this peace, this joy in Christ and this joy set before us for those in Christ. Because Paul, as we see earlier on in chapter 3, goes from persecuting the church to now because of his transformation in Christ to loving the church, the church that is his joy and his crown. May we consider one another as he calls us earlier to consider the interests and the circumstances and the situations and the conditions of others. How can I relay that joy of Christ into their situation that they too might have the joy that I have? And then others of us during this time, we may be sitting there thinking, I don't have this joy and I don't have this joy set before me. How do I get it? You get it only by turning to Jesus. He is our joy. He himself is our peace. He is our hope. You turn to Jesus. Surrender lordship to Jesus. Quit holding on to self. Surrender self to Jesus. Enter into a relationship with Christ. And for you, that might mean right now making that decision or maybe it's finally stepping out and saying no I need to get baptized and I need to declare publicly that I have surrendered lordship to Jesus maybe that's your next step but even as I pray man if you've got some kind of decision like that you need just somebody to pray with you you just want to pray at these steps even as I pray you can come forward during this time Father we love you we thank you for Jesus for what you have accomplished in and through Jesus. We thank you for right now the fact that Jesus is sitting at your right hand in all power, honor, glory, authority. We thank you that as Paul says, we are seated with him in the heavenly places, that we, the church, are the body of Jesus, the salt of the earth, the light in the darkness, the city on the hill. We thank you for who we are right now in Jesus. And we thank you that our distress, darkness, and death is not the end of the story. For what Jesus experienced, we too, the church, will experience. And we thank you for that joy set before us. So help us to endure Help us to choose joy, to be filled with joy, to stand in joy no matter what. And help us then to extend that joy to others. In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us during this time of invitation. Weston, our youth pastor, myself, will be down here. If you need to talk with us, pray with us, have a decision to make, you come now.